Hi, everybody. Hey, happy Memorial Day weekend to you. And all of you that are still moving, it's okay. That's why I do this. I get up here to let you guys know it's probably time to stop being friendly. Um, have a seat, you know. If you go all the way, if you take this same principle all the way back to preschool, this is where the preschool teacher would say, okay, children, this is where you get to get out your wigglies, all right? Get all your wigglies out, right? So if you've ever been a part of that type of ministry, which I haven't, I was just the one told, we already got our wigglies out, Jeff. You can still sit there now. So that's why I know it, because evidently I have extra wigglies. Right, Mark? Right. Okay, good. That was from a doctor, so that's true. All right. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Hey, guys, we are continuing our teaching series in the Red Letter Revolution. And I know that you guys could have been doing a thousand other things this weekend on this holiday weekend, but you're here today. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Thank you very much for coming. Um, I, I planned just as hard, all right, for a holiday weekend as I have for any other weekend. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm here. God's obviously here. And we're expecting God to do something great in our hearts. What I don't want you to forget, though, is the little exercise that goes along with this teaching series. It's that, it's that mathematic equation concept. It's actually in a special handout for you uh, today. So if you would please just grab in your bulletin, there's a, there's a red document that's in there. Um, that's a special document that I want you to use just for today. This is more of like a quick assessment tool to discern, you know, are you experiencing a spiritual revolution in your heart during this teaching series, or are you just going through the, the, the routine of coming to church? Now listen, I love seeing you, alright? But the last thing I want to see any of you do is just go through the routine of coming to church. I want you to be a part of experiencing God and letting the Spirit of God radically transform your life. You've heard me say multiple times, here at New Life, we love you, alright? But we love you enough not to leave you where you were at. That means we want to help continue to see you grow spiritually. Well, if that's in our hearts as humans, what is God's heart towards you? Well, God's heart towards you is many times more than that. God, God wants to take you and he, he wants to do amazing things in your life today. And so that simple little form is there to help you. Um, you can feel free to fill that out whenever your attention span requires you to fill it out. <laughs> All right. But I will say this at the end of the sermon today, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to challenge you to take that document basically and give it some attention even during our response time, which is for some of you would refer to it as singing or worship. I call it response time because it's now the moment after we've heard God's word. How are we going to respond to God based on what we just heard? That's why I refer to it as response time. It's responding to God. It's not responding to a worship team. It's not responding to me or my message. I don't base my message and the success of my message off of how full the altars are or, you know, how many people cried or how many people raised their hands during response time. Um, I, I, I basically go, God, I did what you asked me to do. Now, would you, do, would you stir something in their hearts that causes people to respond to you? Just like I want my heart stirred. So I want you to, um, I want you to take that document, use it during that time. Now, on, on that red form is a simple mathematic equation. This is simple, right? It's hard teachings plus revealed truth, right? That's what happens inside the brackets. You've got to deal with those first. You find hard teachings of the Bible. You find the revealed truth. That's the first thing. But then what are you going to do with it? Just go, aha, wow, that's awesome. No, you have to take that A that's on there. You have to apply it to your life. Now, when you do that, that's when you start seeing spiritual revolution take place in your heart. That's what I'm really interested in. 
And I'm wanting to help you make sure that you get there. So today we're going to be tackling week four in in this Red Letter Revolution teaching series, trying to stir a spiritual revolution in your heart. And today we're going to be talking about your enemies. All right? So um, if you would, please pull out a piece of paper and just start writing down the names of all those people that are your enemies. All right? And then on the other side of the paper, write down all of the names of the people that, you know, consider you to be their enemy. And if you would just simply do that, then we would be okay here. And then we would bring something that we can confess to God with. Now, it's really not that easy, is it? Um, it's a lot harder than that. But enemies, enemies are somewhat entertaining as long as they're not your enemies. Enemies, you know, have created some, some carnage throughout history as well. Um, enemies have just kind of been with us. They always will be with us, and they always will uh, be around. So, like World War II as an example. In World War II, we had the the Axis and the Allies. Um, these guys in World War II, this Axis and Allies, they they uh, they battled it out. You know, uh, you know that the the Axis ended up being the majority of those countries were like I think Germany. Italy and Japan, and you had the rest of the known world, basically, that was battling against these guys. Um, and those are, those are wars that maybe some of your grandfathers are, your, uh, are your fathers participated in. I remember my grandfather did. That's a, that's a big iconic moment where enemies rose up and we had to do something about it. But then there's other frivolous things like in our Marvel comic books, like Batman versus the Joker. Come on. That's a good, that's a good battle, right? Right? You got Batman versus the Joker. Or you got Superman versus Lux, Lux Luthor. Right? Lex Luthor. So you got, you got Superman, you got Spider-Man who battles the Green Goblin, right? I just thought that was cool because how many times are you going to use the word Green Goblin in church? Never. So let's use it right now. Okay, and that's off the charts. So we got, you got those kind of battles that go on. Those things are blockbuster hits. You know, they, they make a movie about those things and the movie theaters just filled and millions of dollars are pouring out because it's somewhat entertaining. But go back to your childhood and think with me about your, your, uh, your arch nemesis, your, your enemy. Typically, what's funny about our childhood and our, and our enemies is normally our enemy was at first our best friend. Remember that? Third, we're talking third grade stuff now, right? These people were close to you, you knew everything about them, they knew everything about you, and then one day they say something or they do something, and then bam, now they're now you're your, your worst enemy, right? And they are out against them or they're out against you. Or in a more harsh manner, in today's terminology, we use the word a bully. And in some school settings, you've got bullies that have become the enemy to many different students. And bullying is a massive campaign that's happening nationally, if not worldwide right now, dealing with the issues that happen on our public school campuses. But we face those same things as adults. We just called them different, right? We just used different words for them. But in essence, anybody that was harming you, anybody that was bringing shame to you, anybody was trying to control or dominate you, could have technically been put into the category of being called one of your enemies. Today we deal with some very powerful uh, enemies, some enemies that have brought some severe harm, uh, such as the enemies that deal with terrorism and al-Qaeda, 
those type of enemies. We still face to this day, but we face other dangers. We face other enemies even beyond them, such as socialism that's trying to make its way into our country. That's an enemy that, you know, we're all dealing with. Another enemy that we're all dealing with that just might be something that our next generation really has to face in a difficult manner is the national debt. That's another enemy that you're facing. So many times we associate enemies you know, with faces. But I just associated enemies with, you know, a, an idealism of how to live socially. Uh, I just face, I just, you know, put a face to an enemy that deals with the finances. So what is your enemy? Who is your enemy anyways? What does your enemy look like today? Some of you would go, oh, it's a name. It's person. Here's, here's who it is. Others of you would say, I'll tell you what my greatest enemy is, Jeff. And man, this last week just drove it home. It's this company. It's my cell phone company. These guys are driving me up a wall, you know, or it's my cable company, you know, uh, I can't believe these guys or it is uh, or or it's your credit card company. Well, before you make your credit card company your worst enemy, you might want to check your own spending habits first. OK, so maybe it's a company that's there or let's make it a little more personal. Maybe your greatest enemy has to do something with like a government office or an official Maybe it's the city of Kearney right now and the way that they're treating you and your land or you and your business. Or it's the Nebraska unicameral and decisions that they've made and how they've affected you and how you're going to live your life or how they've affected things that are really important to you. Or maybe it's the IRS. Maybe those guys are your greatest enemies. I don't know who they are. It could be relational for you. It could be a family member or a neighbor or a coworker or a boss. Who is your enemy and what does your enemy look like today? Many of you, I, I got it. I understand why you're staring at me with that blank look because you're, you're saying to yourself, Jeff, come on, you know me. I'm a peaceful person. I don't have any enemies. I don't have, I don't, I can't think of a single person who doesn't like me. I can't think, I can't think of a single person that I don't like. All those other things you mentioned, I don't really have problems with those. I mean, everything's good. I don't have any enemies. Okay. That's fair. I mean, this, Put a different face to your enemy then. What about your health? Maybe your health is your worst enemy right now. Maybe your character flaw is your worst enemy right now. It's the thing that keeps tripping you up. It's the, keep, it's the thing that keeps putting you flat on your face. Maybe it's your procrastination. Maybe it's your financial management. It possibly could even be your own eating habits. But those things have become some of your worst enemies. They're the things that cause you to wake up in the morning and look into the mirror and go, man, I hate that part about me. That thing keeps eating me alive. It's like I can't control it. It just keeps coming back. Well, one thing is true in this place. We all have an enemy. You might have a hard time putting a name to it, putting a face to it, but we all have them, and Jesus knew it. So that's why he addressed it in Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, You're going to want to turn to Luke chapter 6. If you have your smartphone or your tablet device, you're going to want to track along with me on version. Just type in, you know, New Life Carney and you can find us. It's going to pop up. It's going to look for you if you allow the app to say, can I find you wherever you're at on the planet? If you type in New Life Carney, then you'll be able to track along with us in version. But Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, Jesus speaks to this large crowd as he talks to them about their enemies. And Jesus says this to them in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, pay attention to that. 
I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. The very first thing that pops out of this scripture is this, but to you who are willing to listen, the question to you today is, are you willing to listen? You know what that means? To, to anybody, it's a large crowd. He's got, I don't know how many people there. It just says it's a large, it's basically a large crowd he's speaking to. Right? He's on, he's on the mount. Um, he's speaking to this large crowd and he says, Hey, listen, if you're willing to listen, you know what that tells me? That tells me that, you know, you better really all listen because all of you deal with this issue. But if you're willing to listen, it's going to help you. If you're not willing to listen, it's not going to help you. But basically, I'm going to say something that you should listen to because it's going to affect every single one of your lives. Well, what does he go on to say? Love your enemies. If you have ears, listen. Love your enemies. Why? Because we all deal with it. What does he mean by love your enemies? And when are we supposed to love our enemies? Jesus is literally meaning as soon as a person becomes your enemy, you start loving them. You know what I wish would have been the case? There was this nice little book that Jesus was referring people to and he says to them, you know what, if you have an enemy, I suggest that you go to Amazon and you purchase the book, Love Your Enemies. Right? And then it will come to you, you can read it and you can better understand how to love your enemies. I wish that's what Jesus was saying. You know why? That would give me two days to hate them. I got two days where I can act like I want until the book Love Your Enemies comes. Right? <laughs> right. Right. That's for real. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't going, yeah, first hate them as long as you want, but then at some point, just remember this, you're going to have to love them. No, what he's saying is as soon as you recognize you have an enemy, you're supposed to go into love mode. Well, How? What kind of love is this anyways? This is a love that expresses action. This is not a love. This is not a love that's warm and fuzzy. This is not a love that has strong feelings for another person. This is not a love that has some kind of romantic attraction to it and involves a kiss. This is just a love that demands action. A joyful demonstration, if I can put it that way, a joyful demonstration of a willful act that shows goodwill or that shows benevolence to someone or that especially shows kindness to them jesus is saying when you find out that you have an enemy love them by showing kindness to them love them by showing benevolence to them love them by showing goodwill to them first john three eighteen says it this way it says dear children let's not merely say that we love each other let us show the truth by our actions that's the kind of love that jesus is referring to not a love that just says nice things it's a love that involves action in our lives and jesus even goes on in this teaching in luke chapter 6 to give us some practical examples of what he means by this love in action it's in verse 29. Take a look at it. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek. That's the kind of action he's talking about. If someone demands your, your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Jesus drives home the point here. 
This is the kind of action he's talking about. That's serious action. If someone's asking for your coat, give them your shirt. What's he really trying to say with all these pieces? He's trying to tell us that this love towards our enemies, this action towards our enemies, this hard teaching to grasp and to understand, it's a love that doesn't retaliate, number one. It doesn't retaliate. It doesn't lash back out. It doesn't attack back to make you feel good because you feel like right now you look weak. It's a love that doesn't hold a grudge. It actually lets it go. It, it, it's a love that takes that person and that offense that's made them now an enemy and it causes you to run to God and say, God, help me to forgive this person. Help me to let this go. Because grudges on the inside eventually end up taking action that's not going to be a loving action. So it's a love that doesn't hold a grudge. This love that Jesus is talking about, though, it offers reconciliation to a relationship. It's a love that it's basically it extends the hand. And it says, if you want to reconcile this relationship, I'm here waiting for you. It's the old adage, you know, that if two people live on two different sides of, of a crevasse and there's a bridge that's built between them and they end up in this war and the bridge gets destroyed... The person that shows the kind of love that Jesus is talking about in this passage is the person that builds their half of the bridge out over the water again and just lets it sit there. You may not get a response. You may get heckling from the other side. You may get someone that stands on the other side that, you know, um, you know, just talks bad about you. That just continues to fire, you know, arrows of pain and hurt at you. But this kind of love says, I'm going to build the bridge as far as I can, which is halfway. And I'm going to wait for you to build the other side. Offering restitution. Offering restoration. But this rule is also found in the action that Jesus said. It's the golden rule. How many of you raised your kids or spoke into your kids' lives? Or you plan on speaking into your kids' lives and telling them, now, Now, sweetie, make sure you treat people the way you want to be treated. That's been a parenting technique for generations, hasn't it? Guess where it came from? Love your your enemy. It came from loving your enemy. It didn't come in the, the easy moments. He spoke those words in the most difficult moments. When you've got an enemy, love them the way you would want to be loved. Wow, that takes... Loving your, your enemy to a whole new level, doesn't it? So how, how do we show love then to our enemies? Well, let's go back and let's look at that passage in Luke chapter 6, going back to verse 27. There was three critical things that Jesus said that you can do to show this kind of love in action. First off, he says this, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Do things for them with excellence. Do things for them with the best motive, with the best intent, with the best heart. Do good things to those who hate you. Do good things to your enemy. Do good things to them that would benefit them. Do good things as if you're doing it for your boss and you want an accolade from your boss. That's the kind of language that he starts out with. Do good things to them. So thankfully, the Apostle Paul, later on in Romans chapter 12, helps us see what are some of those good things that maybe we could do even to our enemies. He says this. He says, first off, never pay back evil with more evil. That's pretty, that's pretty clear. If you're going to do good things to someone that's your enemy, 
You're only going to make things worse if you retaliate with more evil. So that's your first lesson right there. And at any point here, you might need to write some of these little things down because the Holy Spirit's saying, you know what? That's what you do. That's why your enemies become even greater enemies and why your enemies multiply around you is because you keep retaliating more with, with more evil. But then he says, do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do things in such a way. If you're out in the community and you're calling yourself a Christian, much less a person that attends new life, and you're creating a wake of enemies, I'm telling you, that's not honorable. That's not honoring God. It's not honoring of yourself. It's not honoring of your family. It's not honoring of the generations to come. Much less, it's not honoring of us, especially if you're associating yourself with us. So do things in such a way that everyone can look at you and go, that person is honorable. I watched them get attacked by an enemy. I watched them be defamed. I watched horrible things happen to them, and they stood their ground. Now that's what true Christianity is, and I want to follow that guy or that woman. That's what happens when you're honorable. Verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Notice, do all that you can. Everybody wants to change someone else. Everybody wants to have the other person take the right steps. But in this passage, Paul's telling us, no, listen, you do what you can do. Because you can't control the other person. All you can control is you. You do what you can to live in peace Peace may never be achieved between you and your enemy. That's not, that's not your, that's not your fault. Your issue is to do what you can to bring peace. Let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. You can't force a resolution. All you can do is build your side of the bridge by being peaceful. Verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge. Why? Well, watch. It says, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You see that? That's awesome. You don't have to take revenge if you're the person that's trying to honor God. You're trying to follow God. Yeah, Jeff, well, you just don't know business. I think I do know business. I deal with a lot of people every single day. You know, I've, I was raised in homes where we created businesses and sold them and let them go and, you know, watch things fail and watch things thrive. I mean, I, I understand. I think I understand. Maybe I don't deal with the same issues that you deal with, but I'm just telling you, I know that the temptation inside of us is to take revenge. I deal with it. I deal with it when someone doesn't like something that we do. My attitude of revenge comes up and he goes, well, let's go show them. No, that's not the right attitude. Let God be the one that, that stands behind you. Let God be the one who deals with things. You build your half of the bridge and extend peace. In verse 20, it continues and it says, Instead, if your enemies are hungry, watch this, feed them. I can't imagine doing anything good for that person. I can't imagine doing anything good for those people. No? That's what Jesus says. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says to our lives. If they're in need, you feed them. That's an act of love. That's an act of love. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. See, that's the reason why I feed them, Jeff. That's the re- That's my motive. That's my real motive of why I do anything good for my enemies. It's because of that little stinger right there. That can't be your motive. As, as fun 
honestly, as fun as it is to watch, as fun as it is to watch your enemy try to figure you out, try to figure out why you would treat them with such royalty, with such charm, with such honesty, with such actions of love, while they've treated you in the way they did, because I'm going to tell you, many of them know how they treated you. Just think back to the actions that you've taken towards others. Did you or did you not know that you were treating people in a harmful way? Yes, you did. So do they. What happens when you step out and you extend the hand of love, and you extend that that love that has action on it? God's the one who awakens them in their spirit. God's the one who causes the guilt to stir inside of them, exchange the word shame for the guilt. God's the one who starts to stir that in them and starts to say, hold on, I think you've been wrong. I think you've taken actions that you shouldn't have. I think you need to respond back to me. Humble yourself and repent. God's the one who does that. But if your goal is to, is to heap the burning coals of love on them, that's not the way it works. You feed them. You give them something to drink. God takes care of the rest. It Finally, it ends... Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How does evil conquer you? When you when you share evil because you received evil. That's how it happens. And unfortunately, some of you in this room today, you you don't even know what it means to live without having an enemy. To you, that's what life means. You have to have someone to complain about to someone else. And it seems like that list never, never ends. It just keeps growing. Someone else has now become an enemy of you. I'll never talk to that person again. I'll never use that person again in business. I'll never shop at that place again. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. Because your whole life is built around complaining. And if you're a complainer, you're always going to find enemies. Let me tell you something about you. You're draining to us all. Some of you are thanking me. I'm going to get letters. Thank you for saying that. I wanted to nudge the person next to me, but I just couldn't. I knew it was wrong to do. But you said it. Thank you. It's just true. It's true. And some of you are living your life thinking that enemies is the way to live. Because it somehow makes you feel more important. Gives you something to talk about. Gives you something to complain about. That's not the way to live. That's stealing your joy. That's taking your peace away from you. That's stealing the the very essence of Christ who lives in you that's attractive so that others will want to follow Jesus. The one who lives inside of you. The one you're proclaiming that you love. The one that you're saying, I'm trying to model his ways. Lay those enemies down and start following Christ. What else can you do? Well, not only can you do good things to them, but then Jesus says this. He says, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Now, listen, let's be, let's be honest. Let's be clear here. Jesus isn't saying to go around speaking great things about them because that wouldn't be true. Just because, just because someone has done harm to you, Jesus isn't saying go so soft that you would go around and you would just say every good thing that you could about them, even to the point that you would lie about them. No, because that would be untruthful. But nor do you have to go around gossiping about them either. So there's this balance where you hide away in your heart the offense that you have. 
You don't have to go out on the limb and try to go over the top and butter them up by saying all kinds of things that aren't truthful about them. But you don't have to go around speaking more words of hate and harm that are going to get back into their ears, that are going to cause them to become just even that more of an enemy to you. Jesus is teaching us to seek God's blessing on their lives. Bless those who curse you. God, what is your blessing that you want to pour out upon their life today? What is your blessing? How are you going to find what God's blessing is for your enemy? Because that's what a true blessing is. A true blessing isn't you just going around, you know, giving them flowers. A true blessing is seeking God's heart for their life and then figuring out how to pray that. Where are you going to find God's blessing for their life? You're going to find that when you go to prayer before God concerning those people and their actions. That's why Jesus says the very next words in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, when he says, pray for those who hurt you. Pray for them. Because really it should have started with pray for those who hurt you. If I could go back and talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you, do you think you could reword some stuff for us here? I would have suggested start with pray for those who hurt you because it's out of praying for those who hurt you that you're going to come up with the way to bless those who cursed you. And you're going to come up with ways to do good things to those who have who've done damage to you. When you pray for those who have hurt you, it's hard to keep your heart from loving them. It's hard to keep your heart you know, uh, from uh, from getting to this place. You're, you're, well, let me just say it this way. Your heart won't get to a place where it grows cold and angry and jealous and, you know, vengeance. If you pray for those who truly have brought pain to you, who have truly hurt you, you're going to find God's going to do a warming and a softening in your heart. I've experienced this myself. When you deal with as many people as I deal with, I've been hurt by people. Some of them have been my boss. Some of them have been people that just are in the church. And you know my number one thing that I've learned to do that allows me to get beyond that pain, allows me to get beyond them from putting their picture on the wall next to my dartboard? You know what the number one thing is? Praying for them. Praying for God's blessing on them. Hiding that hurt away in my heart And not repeating it in areas where it's only going to make me look better or it's going to fuel, you know, some system of protection around me. Praying for them. God uses that to change your heart. Well, Jesus also says this about loving your about loving your, um, your enemies. In verse 32 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, why, why? Tell me this. Why should you get credit for that? If you love those who are just the easy to love, that's who we tend to love anyways. We tend to love those who are like us. We tend to love those we're attracted to. We tend to love people that are easy to love. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not, he's not telling you just to love those who are easy to love. He says, if you love only those who love you back, why should you get any credit? See, we like to offer a reciprocating love. You know what that means? That means, first you show me love, then I'll show you love. That's how we tend to live our lives. Why? It's much safer that way. We won't find as much rejection. First you show me some love, then I'll step out of my comfort zone, and I'll do something that, well, it will blow your mind away. But Jesus is saying, don't wait for someone else to show you that love. 
you step out and you show it first. How does that relate to your enemy? Some of you are sitting back and you're, you're going, you know what, they need to respond to me first. Oh, really? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is suggesting that maybe you need to respond to them first. And you're in this stalemate. And you're going you're gonna to go, well, if I take the first move, then I'm going to look weaker. No, you might on this earth, but who are you trying to impress? People on this earth, or are you trying to, you trying to live for him? You got to really make that distinction clear in your heart and your mind when you're dealing with your enemies. Because if you're trying to just look good in the face of your enemy, you're probably going to look really bad in the face of God. So if you're trying to look good in the face of God, then you would step out and you would, you would care less about what people will think about you after you respond. You'll care more about how God sees you. Now that's a struggle to do. That's hard to do. You know, I want people to respond to me first. I'm just like you. I understand that. Because it's easier and it's more relaxing just to love people that are like you. And it's more difficult to love those who don't think like you. It's more difficult to do that. I understand that. That's why Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, B, he says this, Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend money to other sinners who, um, sinners for a full return. So who are you acting more like? Are you acting more godly? Or are you acting more like the sinner? Woo. Wow, that stings a little bit, doesn't it? Hard teaching with revealed truth. If we apply the right thing, we can find a spiritual revolution happening in our lives. What is this credit, though, that he keeps talking about? This credit that if you respond correctly, that you actually will receive. What is this credit? This credit is God's grace. This credit is like a father who comes and he pats his son on the back and he says to him, well done, son, you did really good. It's like God coming to you, patting you on the back, going, ha ha, good job. Man, I know that was tough. I know that was a hard thing to keep yourself from responding, you know, with that vengeance. But you did it. And he pats you on the back. It's that father who gives that, that hug to his son that just reminds him how much he loves him. Even though he just fell flat on his face and he got bruised and he got beat up. It's that praise that you're given for doing a great job. It's God's praise to you for doing a wonderful, incredible job in the kingdom. That's the kind of credit. That's what we should be living for, by the way. That's what we should be hungering for, is that kind of credit. Where our Heavenly Father goes, well done. I know you face something difficult, but well done. Well, you sense that embrace from God because you withstood the temptation to lash back. So Jesus ends this passage in Luke chapter 6 by challenging us to be more like this Father who's willing to give this credit to you. And he says these words in verse 35. He says, love your enemies. He starts with it, he comes back to it. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. That credit we talked about. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You, you must be compassionate. Read the last part with me. Just as your 
Father is compassionate. Wow. That's where Jesus leaves us. He says basically to us, if you respond in the way I've just taught you, know this, you're responding like you're children of God. Like you are validating to the world around you that you belong to God when you respond the way that I've asked you to. Not only are you doing that, but you're proclaiming that the ways of the God's kingdom are greater than the ways of this earthly kingdom. That when you face your enemies, when you face difficult people, when you face difficult scenarios, when you face things that cause other agencies and governments and you know entities and people and companies and neighbors and relatives and co-workers and bosses, when you face them in a way that they're be trying to become an enemy to you and you respond in a godly way, you're proclaiming to the world that Jesus is alive. You're proclaiming to the world that God, God's way is the right way. You're proclaiming to the world that you belong to God. Notice with me that your willful act to do good towards your enemy or to those who give you trouble brings a reward. The reward of God wrapping his arms around you. But for some of you, it's hard to receive the reward. Because we're going we're gonna to put a new face to the enemy as we wrap up this message today. For some of you, it's hard to receive the reward. For some of you, it's hard to follow out this teaching. Why? Because you've made God your enemy. And if God has become your enemy, hard teachings will never find the true revealed truth that when applied bring a spiritual revolution to you. Has God become your enemy? Instantaneously, your answer would be, no, not me. Well, let's think back a little bit. Have you ever prayed for someone to find healing and they never did? And so you resented that response from God? And did you harbor a little peace in your heart? And did you make God an enemy in that slice of the pie of your life? Oh, you might, you might be totally devoted and loving of God. I don't question that. But you might have some areas of your life, that, that sliver, that piece of, uh, of offense that got into your heart where you're holding that against God now. Or you prayed to God to help you through difficult financial times, but He never did. And you don't see how He really came through. And you just had to buck it up and make it all happen. And you hold that against God. You've made God an enemy of your finances. And you so therefore you don't honor Him with them. Or maybe you're holding an offense to God because there's sin that's in your life and you keep praying to God to help you find freedom from it. But it's as if you're praying to a brick wall and God's never seemed to help you conquer this particular sin in your life. And so now you don't trust God in that area and you've made Him an enemy in that zone of your life. Has God become an enemy to you? God should never be the one who becomes an enemy to you. It says in the last those last words that Jesus gave us, He says... Show compassion just as your Father shows compassion. And it says that the sun rises on the just and the unjust. That it rains on the righteous and the wicked. That God's heart is kind even towards those who call Him enemy. That's God's heart. God's heart is kind towards those who even call Him enemy. Who even set Him up to be their enemy. God, God doesn't make you an enemy of His. You could be the worst sinner in this, in this, on the planet, and you could be sitting in this room right now, and I would have all confidence in my heart to tell you right now, you are not God's enemy. God's hand is extended to you. The half of God's bridge has already been built to you. God's, God's bridge has been built and His hand's extended. 
Now, your sin has separated you from God. And if you end this life with all of that sin in your heart, living as God is being your enemy, and you've just got your back turned towards Him, and you're just totally like, I don't even believe in you, God. I'm going to tell you, there is going to be judgment that's going to happen. But on this earth right now, your sin does not make you an enemy to God. Your sin causes your heart to look at God and say, you are my enemy. God's the one who's willing to love you. So you first deal with, is God an enemy of your heart? I mean, look what Jesus said in some of his last words on the cross about his so-called enemies. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers continued gambling for his clothes by throwing dice. Some of his own last words are, forgive them. What should your words be today towards your enemies? Forgive them. Some of them don't even know what they're doing. Some of them have no idea the harm they've caused you. Forgive them and let it go. That's the application today. Deal with the enemy that maybe God has become in your heart. And deal with the earthly enemies by forgiving them. Run to God today. Use altars like this and come to Him and go, God, I'm hungry for you. I don't, want, I don't want to be separated from you from my sin. I don't want to hold you at bay because I look at you as an enemy. I don't want to do that, God. That's not how I want to love people. Help me to forgive even the people that are on this earth that have offended me, that I, that I hold vengeance against, that I hold you know, ill will against, that I, that I hold an offense against. Help me to forgive them and let it go because it dominates my mind. It dominates my soul. It dominates the way that I love others. It dominates the way that I present myself as a child of the Most High, a child of God. Let's lay our offenses down. Let's lay our enemies down. And let's love the way Jesus said to love. Let's start extending the hand of grace. Well, that was the hard teaching. You've got you've to find what's the truth the Holy Spirit saying to you today. You've got to figure out how to apply that today while we respond to God. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we come before you today knowing that you are gracious with us in spite of our sin. That you love us in spite of what our mouths have said, in spite of what our hearts have believed, in spite of what our actions have done. You're faithful. You still love us. If you forgave those who put you on the cross... If you cried out and you said, there's a way for them to have a relationship with me, even though they even were the ones who nailed my son to the cross. If there was a way for them to find grace, there's definitely a way for us to find grace with you. Lord, first, I pray that you would help us to identify in, in, in what ways have we made you our enemy. Help us to deal with that first. Lord, also help us to respond like Jesus did on the cross. and Help us to identify our earthly enemies. And to pray forgiveness for them. To pray a blessing for them. To figure out ways to do good things to them. And Lord, we would be teaming up with you. And in the end, we would please you. Because we're responding as children of the Most High. Lord, today in our time of just singing to you. Our time of praying to you. May we use these altars. May these altars be for the hungry that are going, God, I want to act more like you on this earth. God, I want to be more like you. I want to love more like you. May our songs, may they reflect the tone of our hearts right now, of just wanting you to take complete control of our lives, wanting you to have, you know, every area of our lives. May our prayer, God, be one that lines up with your hearts, not one of vengeance, not one of, God, deal with my enemies, 
but one that says, God, teach me to love my enemies the way you taught us. Lord, we're going to trust you for every good and perfect thing that comes from